Hello and welcome to Podcasters on Purpose. This is Debbie O'Day, your host, and today I'm really excited to have David Schreiner-Khan with us. David is a recognized authority on entrepreneurship, leadership development, and the host of the business podcast, Smashing the Plateau. Featured in Forbes Magazine's three podcasts to power up your ultra lean business and Inc. Magazine's five entrepreneurs that will change the way you communicate. Over 400 episodes of Smashing the Plateau offer a wealth of personal experiences and practical advice about achieving business breakthroughs. The mission of Smashing the Plateau is helping solopreneur experts build more stable and consistent recurring revenue in their business. David provides expert individual and team mentorship, peer support, and curated educational content to help solopreneur experts do what they love and get paid what they're worth. I'm really excited to have him on the show today. We're going to be talking about his podcast a bit and talking about the topic specifically and how to do what you love and get paid what you're worth. And we're also going to be talking about the podcasting journey. So welcome to the show today, David. Thanks, Debbie. It's great to be on. Super excited to have you here and uh, just love what you're up to. I think it's so important, especially for obviously solopreneurs and entrepreneurs. It's a really important topic on how to do what you love and get paid what you're worth. I think that's like, that's it, right? (laughs) Yes. We keep hearing from our audience. (laughs) So I'd love to dive into that topic. And actually, let's start here. How did you get started with your podcast? I'm real curious how that came about. Oh, so we had a blog where we were doing text-based interviews to take advantage of the relationships that I personally had with a big network Mm -hmm. and to be able to feature people, cross-promote, highlight people who had expertise that others in my network would want to know about. And it seemed kind of natural when we we got feedback from the audience that they wanted greater depth. There's... um, you know, in a blog post, you can't really include as much content as you can in the podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, a typical podcast often is like 20 to 30 minutes. You can include way more content and go into much greater depth than you can in your typical blog post. So it seemed kind of natural to test out doing audio interviews instead of text-based interviews. And to be honest with you, I knew very little about the podcasting world. You know, I'd listen to podcasts and basically podcasts are radio on demand. So I've you know, mm-hmm. been listening to radio my whole life. So I know about radio shows and I know what it's like for people to interview other people. I just had never done it myself. And so to be honest, I was a little bit unsure about the whole thing when I started. I was like, am I really going to know what to do? Am I going to mm-hmm. like this? Are people going to listen? You know, the, the usual things that go through, through our heads. And it turned out that not only did I like it, I got great feedback from guests that they really liked my interviewing style. I got good feedback from the audience. And on top of that, and this kind of speaks to what I do with my business, which is the operations side of the podcast, we've actually automated the whole production process really a great deal so that it takes a relatively small amount of time for me personally to do what I do best in the podcast, which is the interviews. And the rest of it, is either highly automated or it takes a very small amount of labor to do. So it's worked out very well from a production standpoint and also from the actual heart of the content. That's fantastic. I'm big on the automation process. When you say that, are you speaking to like having a scheduling link or can you speak to a little bit of the automation that's freeing you up to do your gift? 
Sure. So it starts when there is some interest of someone who wants to be a guest on the show. Mm-hmm. We don't really have to go out and look for guests because we get way more applicants at this point. We've been doing the show for five years. We get way more applicants for guests than we can handle in a weekly show. Mm-hmm. And so there's a process where people can apply to be on the show. You can actually, you know, if anybody's listening and is interested, you can go to our show, Smashing the Plateau, which is at smashingtheplateau.com and just contact me. There's a contact form and then I will send you the, the link to apply to be a guest if you're interested. And then once somebody applies to be a guest, if they're approved, when we open up booking slots, then we send out a message to those approved guests that now booking slots are available for the next month or for the next two months, whatever it is, and you can select the time that's available. And once those are filled, we can't book anymore until we have time to actually do more. So that's that's the the initial piece. And then in the booking process itself, there's an automated system that does the scheduling and collects all of the information that I need in order to prepare for the interview. And I do prepare for every interview. I do some research on the guest, but we set it up so that the guests supply me with a lot so I don't have to have to hunt around. I do connect with guests on social media in advance and I do look at the stuff that they produce on social media and on their website. If they're an author, I encourage them to send me a copy of their book and I will read their book in advance of the interview. So I do do my homework. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the books that the authors write who are on my show are the kinds of books I read anyway. (laughs) So it's helpful because I'm going to be reading these kinds of books anyway. And it's good for me to be able to read specifically what somebody has written before I interview them. But anyway, so that whole process is very automated. And then the, you know, and the, the way we connect with guests is, is automated. That all gets set up. I do have a, an assistant who does a very minimal amount, but it, literally it's, it's like really very minimal. We have a content calendar where everything is planned out. And then once I complete the interview, then there is a, a small amount of work that I do reviewing the episode to sort of figure out what what we want to use to promote the, the episode on our end and so that the audio editor can do a good job and include things like a small teaser of a few seconds up front to give somebody a clue right at the beginning what the show is going to be about and to pull out some key points that I can use in social media to promote the episode. And I do you know, write those all myself because it's really my interaction with the guests that's important. And I post them on social media myself because I think it really needs to be social, not automated. But again, it's a very automated process. So it's really systematic and does not take me many, many hours to do an episode. Fantastic. And just out of curiosity for your content calendar or programming schedule or whatever, do you just use like Google or what's your software that you use for that? I use Excel. Excel. Okay. I was curious. <laughs> my, my belief in systems, keep it as simple as possible. Uh-huh. And if it looks like what you're using is not systematic enough or not automated enough, then look for another tool. But I will typically start off with either pencil and paper, pen and paper, and basic things like Word, Excel to get started with something. Fantastic. And do you repurpose like, and, you know, maybe like transcribe it and use it in other media, or do you strictly have the podcast, the podcast, and then you maybe add that to your blog? Like, where does it go once it's done? Uh, Well, the podcast actually is a blog. So you're, you have, you're using a specific, like I have a blog for my shows, right? So 
Yeah. So, so we have a website that is WordPress website. And actually, we use a service that sort of has customized WordPress and PowerPress to create the, the look and the feel that, that viewers experience when they, when they go to our website. That's great. So traditional blog versus the podcast blog, right? So you did blogging before. What did you notice changed in your business when you went into doing the podcast? It was just easier for me. <laughs> to be honest with you, I, like, I yeah. really like listening to people and asking questions. Gotcha. I just prefer doing that to writing. That's fantastic. Right? It's not that I'm a terrible writer. It's just like, it's not my go-to thing. My go-to thing is I love to pick up the phone and, and talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. and ask some questions. So for me, doing the podcast is just natural. Yeah, for me it's too. It's an easy way to share ideas with one other person back and forth and then to share those ideas with the world, anybody who cares to listen. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's one of the best medium out there. And it's great because you can just do it with your hair mess in your pajamas if you want to, or you can look amazing when you're doing <laughs> Correct. Although for, for listeners out there, you should know that there are some hosts that insist on having the video on while they're recording. Yes, there are. <laughs> so if you're a guest, you have to know whether you're going to be on video or not before you prepare and kind of get online with the host who's hosting the show. Yeah, for sure. I've been finding too that a lot more people are stepping into doing the video podcasting. I've tried it some. Yeah. Uh, and I found for me, it's just been, it's a little distracting, actually. I, I prefer listening to the audio when I'm talking to someone because I was trained in coaching on audio. So it's the same kind of questions for me. It's, it's a different, same part of my brain, I guess. I'm curious, what do you think about video versus audio for podcasting? I personally prefer audio. I think it's a much more intimate medium than video. Mm -hmm. I think it's a medium that lends itself more easily to intimate conversations than the mm -hmm. video does. And if you think about times when you have heard intimate conversations in a one-on-one -on -one format, think about whether they tend to be audio or video. Mm. Yeah, good point. Interesting. So, and, and also, I can tell you, Debbie, that earlier on in my podcast, the first episode where I had the video on, it was probably... I don't know, within the first 25 or so episodes, the video was on and we use Skype to record. Mm -hmm. The Skype connection was, was not that strong. So we ended up turning the video off. And I realized while I was conducting the interview that I was doing a better job with the video off than I was doing with the video on. And I was replicating the same experience that our listeners have when they listen to the the finished episode. And I realized from then on that I specifically did not want to have video on. I've had a couple of guests that really want to see me before mm -hmm. we start recording. <laughs> so in a few cases, I'll turn the video on while we chat before we start recording, but I will always turn it off when we, when we record. Yeah, I've done that too. It's, it's funny. So, so the days when I'm not planning to be on video and I have like a baseball cap on or something, <laughs> I'm like, hi, <laughs> let's talk yeah, for exactly. a few and then we'll hop off. But it, it actually, I found too, does help with the bandwidth. So I think that's a really good point too. And also having, yeah, I'm a way better audio only, I think, because you get distracted when you're looking at something. You kind of miss, I think, part of it. My friend had a suggestion. They're like, well, just put a piece of paper over the screen if they want to see you. <laughs> 
And then they can see you and you don't need to actually be looking. But I don't know if that that would work. That's an interesting idea, though. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't tried that one yet. I haven't either. I haven't tried that yet. So did you notice like a big shift too, like going from just traditional blog to being on all of the different platforms in terms of listenership or connections with your ideal audience? Well, there was a difference. And I'm not sure whether it was because we were on a different platform. There was a difference in the kind of listener and the location of the listener because Mm. in the text-based interviews, which we we had only done for a few months, we started with people who were in my network who are mostly geographically local. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the initial audience of the blog was pretty local. And as soon as we switched to the podcast, I was getting guests that were all over the world really quickly. And so the audience was worldwide also really quickly. That's great. And at what point did you start to add, or if if you have sponsorship into or ad role or anything like that? Did you start off with that or did you bring that on later? We have never had sponsorship on our show. Frankly, I'm personally not so Mm -hmm. comfortable. It depends on on what the sponsorship is, but Mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan of ads on podcasts. I think it really distracts from the value that you're providing to the audience. And the reality is, unless you have a really huge audience, you're not going to make much money from ads. Sponsorship is, is a little different because what you can do with sponsorship, you can use sponsorship as an example to cross promote other people that have the same audience. You know, so like, like if you and I decided we wanted to sponsor each other's podcast for a period of time to call attention Mm -hmm. to what somebody else in the same space is doing, it would be a more natural fit. And I think would serve the audience better as well as serve us better as hosts. So how would you do that with the sponsorship? Would you do a a bumper on your show or would you uh, have the other person introduce you or what, what would be the way that you would do the cross promoting sponsorship? In reality, we could do either. We could have some kind of clip where, you know, each one of us is on each other's show for a very short clip every episode during that sponsorship period. Or we could just read something where I call out attention to your show, particularly if you have something new and exciting that's coming up that people in my audience may want to know about and vice versa or, you know, something like that. That's great. I love that idea. And so... Once you've got your 500 episodes plus, <laughs> what would you say was kind of the, the number one secret to getting to that number of episodes and having the success that you've had with your show? Consistency, mm-hmm. frequency, mm-hmm. perseverance, patience. This doesn't happen overnight. We were doing two episodes a week for the first four and a half years of the podcast and actually just shifted as of January 2019 to one episode a week. Wow, that's great. Two episodes a week. That can be a lot though, right? So early on, how did you how did you handle that when you had the the two a week? Did you pre-record a batch? Did you I still pre-record a batch. Me too. So yeah. So <laughs> when we first launched for like the first couple of months, we did one episode a week. And I found that I had a huge backlog of people who, who wanted to be guests, people that I wanted to have on the show. And as soon as I was able to automate it enough that it wasn't a huge time suck, then I decided, okay, now it's time for us to double the production. 
And, and there was a small team that was involved that also was part of this. So I made sure that they could all handle, because essentially for them, it was doubling the workload. We kept automating, as I mentioned earlier, we kept adding automation as we went along. So their workload actually kept decreasing and mine kept decreasing as well. But it sort of, you know, it decreases up to a point where it kind of levels off. You can't really optimize a whole lot more once you get to a certain point. Mm-hmm. But, the, but that optimization was really what allowed us to be able to do two episodes a week rather than one and accommodate the number of guests that we wanted to be able to feature. What would you say is one of your favorite tools that you use around your podcast? You sound like someone who does a lot of exploration into that. What would you say is your favorite or one of your favorites? It's a good question. I don't know that I necessarily have one favorite. You know, it, as I said, Excel works pretty well for some for a lot of really basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Dropbox is really useful because it's an easy way to share all of the administrative files with with our team. We use the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Skype is pretty good. The um, you know, Ecam recorder, which is the recorder that goes along with Skype, which is very low cost and and works pretty well. That's a good tool. So it's really the combination of, of all the different things that we use. We use schedule once for the scheduler. That works pretty well. It's a little, little more complex in terms of its process, the setup process than I would like. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it works well enough, so we're not looking to switch it. Fantastic. And who's been one of your, like, say, most interesting guests? Or is there, like, a story from your show that just kind of lights you up every time you think about it? You know, I, as you asked that question, one guest that I've had who's become a friend of mine, Josh Spodek, who wrote a book that had just come out when I first interviewed him called Leadership Step by Step, was actually one of, sort of stands out in my mind because we had a conversation that, and I forget whether Josh mentioned this during the actual recording or just after we finished, that he had talked about things that he had never mentioned before which made me feel good as a host that, that he was comfortable enough to share some, some details about himself that, you know, was, um, I guess, required some vulnerability to do that. And he's a really interesting guy. He's, he's not the kind of person who, who follows the crowd. He has five degrees from Ivy League institutions. He wow. says that none of them taught him about leadership, including his MBA. And that, which is why he ended up writing the book, Leadership Step by Step, that it's a really, it's an experiential process and you really need to learn it by doing. He's a really interesting guy. He's now hosts the podcast called Leadership and the Environment. It's a, like a new direction for him where he's trying to reach a, a billion people and make an impact in the way they treat the environment. Beautiful. Yeah. And he ha- happens to also live in New York as I do. So we've you know gotten to know each other personally, which has been nice. But it all started because because of that episode on the podcast. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, and it speaks a lot to you as an interviewer too when, when a guest actually is speaking about parts you know, of themselves or, or backstory they normally would normally not think about or share, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good indicator to you that you're doing your job right, <laughs> right? Right. Fantastic, a billion people, I love it. Maybe I'll have him on my show if, if you want to make an intro. I'd love to meet him. Sure. So tell us a little bit about how to do what you love and get paid what you're worth. That sounds like a great topic to talk about too. It is a great topic. It's something that many people aspire to do or to do better because you can always do better at it. And really, in particular, 
this applies really well to people who are solopreneur experts, people who've been in their field generally for you know, 20 years or more, I would say people that are mid-career and older, who really are good at what they do, they love what they do, they do a great job with their work. They're probably, you know, if you think about somebody who may be between the ages of 45 and 60, the chances are if they're healthy, they may be working for another 20 years or more. Mm-hmm. And they probably also need to work f- to pay the bills. So how do you figure out how to spend as much of your time as possible doing what you love and get paid what you should get paid for it? Well, there's some really basic steps that you need to follow. And the first one is you need to be really clear on what your core values are and be committed to them and committed to promoting them to your ideal environment. So what I mean by that is like, in my case, I believe every individual has gifts, every team has gifts, and every organization has gifts. And when you share your gifts, the world prospers. So it's a kind of giving mentality. And I do my best work when I'm working with people who share the same values, which is why I believe you can do your best work and get paid what you're worth. Now, the second piece is once you're really clear on your core values, you need to understand who your ideal environment is, who you want to work with. And one of the exercises I do with clients is a profitability map where I have them map out their existing clients using two criteria, how profitable those clients are and how easy it is to work with them. And if you plot them out on a grid, you'll find that some portion of your clients are the ones where you, they're very profitable, but they may not be so easy to work with. Some of them are easy to work with, but not so profitable. Mm. Then there are the ones that are hard to work with and not so profitable. And even if you are not financially where you want to be, I make the argument that you should identify some portion of those and think about how to have them exit your client roster. Brilliant. Out of curiosity, how do you quantify the units of measure for easy to work with or, you know, do you say on a scale of one to 10? Yeah, I said like one to five. One to five, okay. How how would you rate them? And you know what? Most people can give them a number pretty easily. (laughs) And if I say how profitable are they, it's interesting that like not everybody looks carefully at their numbers, which is another issue. But if you look at your numbers, you can tell how profitable they are. And then, of course, they're the ones that are easy to work with and very profitable. And those are the ones that you should spend your most, you should try to do more with and sell more to them because that's where the best future is for your business. But anyway, so you've got to be really clear on who you want to serve. And then when you look at your core values, if you really understand what your skills and experience dictate that you are the best at doing and that you enjoy the most? Like where is your highest competency and what is it you enjoy doing the most and where that intersects with your ideal client base? That's where you should focus your work. The next step is look at what problems those people in your your ideal client avatar, what problems they have what keeps them up at night, 
you need to ask them. You got to do your market research. And in particular, don't just focus on the biggest problem. You've got to focus on what is the problem that they experience every single month, every single week, every single day, mm-hmm. where you can provide a solution that is an ongoing solution. It's not a one-time solution. It's an ongoing solution. So that if you think about somebody who is a um, heating, ventilating, and air conditioning systems company, they can either repair a boiler once or install an air conditioner once, or they could provide a maintenance contract where whenever there's a problem, the customer can call them and get service. And Mm -hmm. as long as you figure out what they need and how you can provide it profitably and you price it effectively, and you keep checking in with your customer to see if you're satisfying their needs and solving their problem, you can have a great business with consistent revenue. That's fantastic advice. I love that. And it is so true. It's so much easier to work with people that are also aligned with your values. I remember I interviewed um, Dr. John Martini on my other podcast, The Spiritual Entrepreneur. And he was talking about when you speak into the values of another human, you build love and affinity. And when you speak contrary to those, you build hatred and resentment. And thinking of all the love and affinity that you'll experience in your business when you're both speaking into the same value system so easily is great. I love that. So how do you engage with your clients? Do you do, you know, private consulting? Do you do, what's your way that you work with your client base? Yeah. So, so we work privately one-on-one and also in groups and depending upon who the client is and what they need, they may fit better into one framework than another. The benefit of working individually is you get individual attention and you're not distracted by what other members of the group need. The advantage of being in a group is you get multiple minds to give you some feedback that can help you with your business strategy and your implementation challenges. I love it. That's great. It's really important work because I think a lot of people that they can be entrepreneurs for a while (laughs) until they learn how to do what you're talking about, right? Yeah. And people should realize that entrepreneurship is not simple. It's actually, it's hard work. It's way easier to be an employee. Mm -hmm. The reality is that breakthroughs that we long to achieve, that we see others achieve, when others achieve them, we may learn about them just when the breakthrough happens. What we don't realize is that they may have spent a year, two years, five years, or 10 years working towards that breakthrough. With some of the patterns that you've seen and having interviewed over 500 guests and obviously working with people who are really following their their gifts in a business, what are some of the patterns that you've seen for people like maybe their top like two to three challenges or just two to three challenges that you see that are common? And do you have any tips and advice around those? Yeah. So when they have something new that they're planning to do, they wait too long to get started. So the demons Mm -hmm. in their mind prevent them from having the courage to take the first step. That's number one. Number two is when they do start something, there are, and this is why our show is called Smashing the Plateau, there are these roadblocks that come up that are totally unexpected. It's like when you create a plan, your plan is based on what you know that you know 
and what you know that you don't know. Because if you, there's something that you realize you don't know, you're going to try to figure out how to solve that. Mm-hmm. But it's what you don't know that you don't know that is the surprise. And those things tend to knock us for a loop and they also impact our confidence. They trigger our fears. And so, especially when you're running a small business, when you're handling a lot of things and you're, you're really into the weeds, these things that are so challenging as you're trying to implement something new may derail your efforts. You may not have the perseverance and the focus and the discipline to actually continue long enough to see the kind of results that you want. So what I've seen is people really fall apart during the implementation. Sometimes it's, they know about it and sometimes they don't even realize that they're just not pursuing something long enough to see results. So what would you suggest to someone who is falling apart in the implementation (laughs) in those two cases? Yeah, so that's when if you're in a group that is a group of people who are have some commonality of purpose and values working to improve their own success in business and in life, frankly, they will help you stay accountable by giving you positive feedback, giving you sharing some experiences that may save you time and money And they may be sharing some experiences that will help you make more money more quickly. They'll give you the courage to keep at it when you may feel somewhat dejected. Mm -hmm. It will keep you from undercharging. I've seen that happen Mm -hmm. frequently in, in groups, especially with consultants. They way too frequently undercharge for their services and other people in the group will call them on and say, you know what, instead of charging $500 for that project, you should be charging 5,000. It's not worth $500. Mm -hmm. You're really undervaluing yourself. And I've seen people make a lot more money when they're in a group that provides that kind of feedback. Teamwork definitely makes the dream work for sure. You know what, Debbie, entrepreneurship is really lonely. Mm -hmm. You're the only person who's in your seat in your business. And there are things you're not going to talk about to anybody. If you have employees or team members, you're not going to share your fears with them. If you have financial supporters, investors, there's certain things you're definitely not going to share with them. And if you have a spouse or significant other in your life, Either you may not feel comfortable sharing certain things or frankly, very often they don't want to hear about it. Mm -hmm. So who else can you talk to but other entrepreneurs in a safe space? Yeah, it's so true. I really have noticed that one of the, the major keys to success is your environment, how you set it up and having that that space, that safe space to go and talk about what you need to talk about with your business and getting advice and being pushed. Because it definitely makes a difference when you're undercharging to have someone call you out and <laughs> be like, no, you're worth so much more. That uh, offering is worth so much more, right? And then walk exactly. you through it. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? If you ask for help, most of the time people are going to want to help you. Mm-hmm. It's so true. It's so true. I love that. I think it's really beautiful what you've created. That's wonderful, David. Thanks, Debbie. How do you see this, the podcast maybe playing into, just out of curiosity, podcasting and doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Do you see any correlation with that? Do you see it outside of that? How do you view the podcast in that equation? Well, I ask most guests to talk about their area of specialty, which Mm -hmm. is uh, primarily something that 
I believe is helpful to my listeners and can help them in their own businesses. And I also ask guests about their revenue model. What is it that helps them make money consistently with some sustainability? And in particular, if they have any kind of recurring revenue, what is it? How have they built it? Not necessarily specific numbers, but what's the model that they use and how did they get there? Because mm-hmm. ideally for, especially for solopreneur experts, what you want is to be able to put money in your bank account on the first of the month that will cover your living expenses and cover the operating expenses for your business. And then whatever you can make as a profit on top of that is gravy. Mm-hmm. So whatever our guests can share about their own experiences is what helps our listeners be able to try to replicate that. That's great. And is there anything that stands out in your mind in terms of a tip that maybe one of your guests shared or a revenue model that looked really good or or anything like that that you'd want to share with the listener today? Yeah. When I talked earlier about the profitability map, Mm -hmm. if you look at your ideal clients or customers, those that are most profitable and easiest to work with, have regular conversations with them. And I don't mean texts or emails. I mean, actual conversations, live conversations, depending upon your location, whether you're in the same geographic location as your, as those clients or not, ideally have conversations face to face with them and ask them about their struggles, ask them where they need help and ask them who else do they know who has the same kinds of challenges because that will help you provide solutions to the problems that you are best fit to solve and most want to solve. Beautiful. That's great advice. I love that. If you could leave the listener today with one piece of advice as it relates to podcasting specifically, what would it be? Three things that I always tell people. Great. Consistency, frequency, and quality, and in that order. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) As you know, most podcasters don't last that long. Mm-hmm. And it's not because it, of the cost of production. It's because it takes consistency and frequency. Mm-hmm. And way too many people worry about quality first. It's more important to actually get started and get something out. You can always do a better job. I've done, as you said, we're, we're approaching 500 episodes. And I always think about how can I improve each episode just a bit more than the previous one? Well, we're always going to think that way. Just get started, but frequency, consistency, and quality. Fantastic. I love it. That's powerful. That's great. And if the listener would like to get more of you and your show and your work, where would they go? They can go to smashingtheplateau.com. And on the homepage, there's a button to schedule time to speak with me. I'd be happy to speak one-on-one with anyone who's interested. And you can also listen to any of our episodes on our site. We have the most recent ones available on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also get in touch with me through a web form that's available on our site if you want to write a, write a note and get some feedback in writing. Fantastic. Thank you so much, David, for coming on today and sharing all of your beautiful expertise and also sharing this wonderful podcasting journey with us. Thanks so much, Debbie. Uh, If you're new or returning to the show and have not yet subscribed, please subscribe to receive the latest episodes as they're released. And if you love what you heard today, we'd love a great review too. Thanks so much for listening in. We'll see you next time on Podcasters on Purpose.
Hey there, have you ever thought about creating your own podcast? If so, I'd love to support you with giving you a free guide on how you can create your studio and set up for your podcast. If you'd be interested in learning more about the microphone that I use, the headset that I use, the software that I use <laughs> to do these shows, I'd love to share that with you. You can go on over to podcastingonpurpose.com.